Okay, guys, this is week four, uh, and we are talking about a really, really important topic. Um, doubt, deconstruction, uh, deconversion, the whole the whole world, which is different things. And I'm gonna I'm gonna play a bit of a different role. Um, and I'll offer some thoughts here and there, but I want to try to keep keep the pressure on y'all <clears throat> and really talk about this uh, this really important topic. So, Dina Davidson, Dominic Doan, DD, both of y'all. Um, <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Um, so you've written uh, books about this topic. You have a ministry. Talk talk about that. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago, we started a ministry called Pursuing Faith that was born out of this book, When Faith Fails. And essentially just recognizing a few years ago, like, oh, there are so many people right now who are wrestling with this sense of their faith is falling apart, what's become known as deconstruction right. now. How do we step into that space? So what it looked like for us before joining the Bayside team a few months ago is we'd fly out to churches or universities and just have conversation about this and a lot of one-on-one -on -one mentorship and discipleship for people who are either going through it personally or family members are like, help, my 16-year-old's deconstructing. What do I do? How do I love them through mm -hmm. this? So. Great. Love it. So you're the right man for the job. And then, Dina, what's your experience with this? So I work with the age group that's most likely to deconstruct. And so mm -hmm. I pastor a group of students that um, I'm trying to faithfully help them to walk through these questions so that they don't lose their faith at the end of this process. Yeah. But, you know, when you head off to college or you just leave your parents' home, questions stir up and you don't know where to go for the answers. And so uh, that's that's my part in the process is I'm walking alongside a lot of people asking the questions that mm. often lead to a negative process of deconstruction. Mm. Although I do think there can be some positive processes of deconstruction. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So let's, let's define some terms <clears throat> here for our audience. What would you say uh, deconstruction is? What would you say deconversion is? So we can use those words rightly. Mm -hmm. um, if you've ever played the game Kerplunk, Mm -hmm. Where you have like the plastic uh, <laughs> tube thingy and these plastic straws, and then you pour marbles on top, and one by one you each take out a plastic this straw. This is a great analogy. And they, the marbles kind of move around, right? And then someone pulls out the fateful straw, and then suddenly everything comes crashing mm -hmm. down. I think that's that's kind of what it feels like at a spiritual level. Um, mm -hmm. We talked about in the last episode, like, as for me, my feet almost slipped in Psalm 73. So uh, doubt is is the sense of spiritual vertigo, where mm -hmm. you, on one part of you is like, I, I, I had these face or things mm -hmm. I thought were true growing mm -hmm. up, or I think this is true about God or faith, Bible, Jesus, but something has caused that to be mm -hmm. shattered and disrupted in my soul. Um, I think you need to distinguish between faith, doubt, and unbelief. And for years, I used to think that doubt was the opposite of unbelief or of faith, mm -hmm. but rather it's unbelief. And in scripture, unbelief is considered a sin. John 3, 16, whoever yeah. believes in me will not perish. But doubt's kind of that middle murky space in between that depending on what we do with it can actually lead us to unbelief or it can lead us to a more resilient faith. That's so good. And I do think that is the thing about questions in general is yeah. I think of questions like catalysts. So a catalyst just speeds up the rate of change. And yeah. so whatever is inside of you, if you are a young college student and you are sitting in, in a philosophy of religion class and you encounter a question, mm. that question isn't necessarily going to change anything in you, but it is going to be a catalyst. It's going to speed yeah. up a rate of change. And that rate of change, um, depending on how you handle that question, mm. it can push you 
further into your faith or it can push you further away, which is not to say that it's all on you. You have to do this process perfectly, mm-hmm. but it, it is like a cautionary. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a good way to ask questions and That's to right. handle doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's a way that can be really unhealthy and really perilous to your Yeah, faith. I mean, doubt, it, it comes from this Latin word dubitare, which just means two. So someone who doubts, mm. they're, it's like they're in operating two different spheres. Mm. Again, think of that analogy of a river and you have a bank on one side, a bank mm. on the other, doubts that place in between. So when someone doubts, it just means that they're kind of being torn at some level. Usually yep. it's emotional. Usually yeah. it's something they've yep. experienced, a problem of evil, which we talked about, mm. is I think the primary cause of it. Mm. Um, but it just means you're, you're you're being torn. And it doesn't mean when someone doubts that they're actually losing their faith necessarily. It right. just means they're questioning. And Jesus encouraged questions. Right. That's how that, I think it was his primary mode, actually, mm-hmm. of drawing yeah. out truth from within, kind of Socratic in a sense, yeah. from within his, his discipleship core. Um, so many times, who do you say I am? Mm-hmm. Do you believe this? And these questions force them to be open and honest about what they were thinking. So we should welcome the questions That's and then so have a, a good theology of doubt. What is it? Where does it come from? Mm-hmm. And then how do we navigate through it? So one, one writer has said, it is time that we declare war <laughs> against this deconstruction Christian movement. There is nothing Christian about it. It is a false religion. Mm. I don't think We're Jesus smart. would agree with that necessarily. Um, He's like, close the computer. Yeah. Let's get serious. Come on. <laughs> I mean, okay, you, you mentioned that there's a, we should distinguish between healthy and unhealthy deconstruction. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely vital. What that author is probably, or speaker, whoever they are, uh, is referring to is probably... guilty. Yeah, and, and kind of a fear base. It comes across very fear base, And like what, what it immediately does is it ostracizes anyone who legitimately has questions. Right. And so they may still be a part of that faith community, but they're suppressing their questions more and more. But doubt's greatest strength is secrecy. Mm-hmm. And Jesus never encouraged us to suppress our doubts. He yeah. wants us to be open. I mean, that, that's how the Bible is written. Brutal, yeah. honest towards it. Wow. That is so helpful. I just, I feel like, um, I, I feel like any attempt to crack down on someone who is struggling already in their faith by just being like, believe yeah. the truth. Like, that's just not something that I, we have the capacity to do. If I say to you, don't think of a white elephant, this is a classic example, immediately you think of a white elephant. So if we say to people, don't doubt, mm-hmm. what are they going to do? They're going to doubt, you know, don't deconstruct your faith. Well, okay, what are we hiding? Like, why can't we explore these questions? So I think I think that we should walk away from unhealthy deconstruction, any mm-hmm. attempt to just dismantle the revealed truth of God's word. Like, yeah, we should walk away from an attitude that just says our opinion is equal to that of scripture. But we should never crack down on questions because just like yeah. you were saying, questions are Jesus's main teaching tool all throughout the New Testament. Yeah, and Jesus, I mean, in a pure sense of the word, uh, deconstructed in the sense that he was a first century Jew, mm-hmm. and, and scholars, you know, first century Judaism tell us this all the time. And he's deconstructing first century Judaism and saying, hey, your views on monotheism, I'm introducing some new ideas, your ideas of election, your ideas of eschatology, uh, the way that you think Israel functions, the way that the all of it is, is one big, I've arrived to 
deconstruct, reconfigure the furniture. That's what the parables are doing in the minds of the listeners. That's right. Mm -hmm. They're always, now we're not Jesus, of course, and he was coming to do a very specific thing in salvation history. So we can't all just go, well, that's, you know, whatever. But there are moments after that. Mm. Uh, I was reading one writer and they talked about the fact that like what Martin Luther did in the Protestant Reformation could have been seen as deconstruction. Mm -hmm. You know, he posts his theses up on the wall and says this version of Catholicism is wrong, yeah. justification by faith, sola scriptura, also. So, so, so we can't just blanket go. It's wrong yeah. Yeah. to deconstruct because, as one phrase you know goes, reformed and always reforming. Like there's always challenge of generations that need to go. I need to rediscover the gospel. I need to rediscover the application of the gospel to my cultural moment. Yeah, and if the cultural moment has this list of things, which I'm going to ask about, that have taken us off mission and taken us off, you know, Christocentric faith, we should probably push back a little bit and go, let's be careful. So Mm -hmm. let's come to the question of uh, what are the reasons, you've alluded a little bit, let's go through three, four, five reasons why people deconstruct. I think it's many of the things we're talking about in the skeptical series. You can read science and at a surface level, it seems to contradict what you read in the Bible or the Bible itself. Um, <laughs> sometimes you come across parts of scripture that seem weird or offensive mm-hmm. or bizarre. Oh, I was reading that story wars. the other day where the bears come out and the light is like, yo, kill all those little story. kids over there. Yeah, yeah, like, bear what on earth? Mall's 40 kids and it's like, all right. That was God's will. What? what? Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. The read through the Bible in a year programs, right? Yes. You, like Genesis, yeah. Exodus, it's usually pretty fast moving and it's yeah. good people track with it. And then you hit Leviticus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think, yeah, the Bible, personal suffering, obviously. Yeah. We are in a cultural moment, as you said, that it is in certain spheres somewhat trendy to deconstruct, right? So there's that pressure, the yeah, cultural this, pressure. This article was written in 2024. The number is higher. 420,000 posts on Instagram with the hashtag deconstructing. And I'm sure there's more than that, but yeah. 420,000. Hashtag. And that's just Instagram? Yeah. Yeah. And TikTok, I think, is is far. Oh, I mean, mean, there are so many videos of people deconstructing their faith. I think also mentioning that we're in a cultural moment where whatever is trendy is trending and is going to keep on trending, right? Until mm. like, there's a backlash against it and be like, it's no longer popular, that thing is trending. So the very yeah. fact that a deconstruction mo- movement is visible, very visible on social media, I think what that invites people into is, well, I don't, I don't want to be left behind in this. I don't want to believe something that's false or dangerous mm. or, you know, the worst, unloving towards people. So I got to make sure that I'm following along on this journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think deconstruction too has built in within it a self-destruct button because you can only deconstruct for so long. That's right. And we are witnessing this movement. I mean, in New York Times, they talked about the rise of, quote unquote, the ex-evangelicals about a year ago. Washington Post a few months ago said we're witnessing a secular surge. So we're seeing something happen right now, obviously, but you can only deconstruct for so long. You take out the walls, the roof, rip up the foundation, mm-hmm. like pretty soon there's nothing left to stand right. on. And what we've found in the last few years of working with people who are going through times of deconstruction, there are these movements they go through, but inevitably they may find themselves in a place where uh, existentially, if you would, they're they're standing in a barren land. They've torn apart the entire building, Mm -hmm. but then life happens and they're confronted with love or justice or suffering. And they're like, how do I answer these questions? And then you're innocent. Your soul is forced to reconstruct in those moments. 
And where does that lead you? And, and Nietzsche, he said, God created us in his image. We've been returning the favor ever since. Sometimes it leads to that. Like, I'm, I'm just going to create a worldview that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be myself and yeah. you be you kind of philosophy. Other times it's a returning to faith, but a deeper, more robust, resilient faith. Yeah. And that's the, the thing about deconstruction. It can actually make you more resilient because it's forcing you to engage with these hard questions. Absolutely. I remember in college, like I had this moment where I had a choice. I basically encountered some questions that I didn't have answers to. But at that point in my college journey, I had just met too many people that walked away from Jesus because of a question. And I just remember having this crisis moment in my faith. I was walking around the lake at my school and I I just Mm -hmm. said to the God that I wasn't exactly sure was still there. I said, I still believe in you. Mm And if I walk away from you, it's not going to be because of this question. It's going to be because there's not a good answer to this question. So I think if I can give any encouragement to someone who finds themselves facing very real doubts and is on a path of deconstruction, I would just say, please, if at all possible, don't quit in the middle. Don't quit when you've just um, deconstructed keep on the journey until yeah. you've answered those really big life mm. questions of of meaning of what is the ultimate solution for evil and suffering all the things that motivated you to begin this journey don't stop when you've mm. abandoned your old answer mm. please continue the journey forward until that you have the answer that you really truly in your soul of soul yeah. and in your mind believe is a better answer to mm. these questions that is so key there's this old poem that says drink deep or taste not the Perean spring. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind that is if, if you're going to ask the questions, then, mm-hmm. then go deep. I think the worst thing you can do is read a chapter of the God delusion and just like, I'm <laughs> abandoning it all. Yeah. Exactly. There's some very good, robust Absolutely. answers written, yeah. you know, with these very specific questions. So identify the questions. What are they? And then don't settle for the low hanging fruit. And instead, yeah. like, like Jacob wrestled with God all night, wrestle right. through your doubts. But this is so vital. Don't do it alone, (laughs) right? I I think going through times of doubt and deconstruction more than ever, you need community. And having gone through my own time years ago where I was deconstructing my faith and wrestling with a lot of questions, um, and as an introvert, there there is this very real tendency to, I'm just going to wrestle. I was dealing with questions theologically, philosophically. I didn't even share with my own wife. I'm just like Mm. deeply wrestling with it. And finally, God just kind of drew me out of that. Like, I need to start being open and honest about these questions and it was having people in my life around me who were praying for me and walking with me through those times really makes all the difference Mm. like you were not meant to go through those times alone if you're listening to this and you are wrestling with your faith find a community where you can wrestle with others through it because when you're alone i think that it just compounds the discouragement that you feel where do you find that community, the community that will listen to your questions and not mm. condemn you for them? Because yeah. I, I do find I talk to a lot of students who are bravely now sharing their questions, but they they took another they took a crack at it earlier in their faith mm. journey, yeah. and it was yeah. not received well. I literally um, was teaching at the Bible conference, and I answered a question, and then afterwards, the man who asked it came up to me and said, "I'm really grateful you asked that question when when I was in mm. parochial school." A nun literally threw a textbook at my head for asking that question. And I was like, that's mm. okay. That's maybe. So I think there's real people who uh, are not safe to ask your questions yeah. to. How do you find the good ones, yeah. the safe ones to ask well, those questions Well, if your pastor to? says things that... <laughs> 
<laughs> you just that quote you read earlier we're about right. we're at war with the questioner. Yeah. Uh, that's probably not a very good, healthy community to be a part of. Yeah. When when someone doubts, they're given two options, and neither option is good. Um, the first option that culture gives is to idolize doubt, mm-hmm. and yay, four hundred twenty thousand views or likes, a repost, come join us, come join us. great, tear it, tear it all down. But then d- that doesn't lead anywhere fulfilling. Right. And the second option is to demonize doubt, and that's the what you find with certain legalistic, you know, mm-hmm. we're at war with the questioner type of, of, of people. Um, but that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus invited his followers on a journey. Come follow me, his first words to mm-hmm. his disciples. To follow implies journey. It implies mountains. It implies vistas. It implies valleys. It well, implies you heartache read the and gospels growth. Yeah. With the filter of doubt on, mm. it would be a fascinating read. Like right. the gospel writers are basically setting up the three years of ministry as a guy who knows what he's doing and the people closest to him are doubting and not sure about the whole thing. Yeah. Right till the end. Yeah. Matthew 28. Yep. He's ascending into heaven. Yes, right. And Matthew says, and some still doubt it. (laughs) They're watching it happen. You're watching a guy fly and you're like, "Eh, I don't know. he still sent them out. Yeah. Yeah. He sent out the worshipers and the doubters. I mean, that's a mind-blowing thing to me. He does the 5,000. They get in the boat. And then Mark says, because they didn't, they didn't understand the lesson of the, of the basket, of the fish and the loaves. Yeah. It's like, it's, uh, it's one big doubt story. Oh yeah. That's John so the good. Baptist who yeah, <laughs> baptized like, Jesus. I'm waiting for another, this, should I get another guy yeah, here? Yeah, the Trinitarian moment of the yeah. father speaking, the spirit descending, yeah. the son being baptized. Like he see, like And knowing most, in his womb, right? Yes. Like he yes. had the knowledge. He's the guy that danced, did the Harlem shake mm-hmm. in his mother's womb when <laughs> Jesus knew. walked into the room via Mary. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. He's in prison. He's like, I don't even know if you're the Messiah. And then Jesus turned around. I mean, that, that's about the harshest doubt you could ever have. Mm-hmm. Talk about, I, I don't know if Jesus is it. Yeah. And Jesus then looks at his disciples. And he said, there's no one greater than right. John the Baptist. Right. And it's not because Jesus is like, yay, good for, good for doubt. But rather he understands that John was on this journey and to yeah. doubt is, it's immensely human. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so many times we get our theology of doubt from Genesis 3 rather than Genesis 1. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is... Often what you'll hear in certain sectors of Christianity is doubt's always evil because isn't that what Satan used in the garden, Genesis 3? And he did. He used doubt in a destructive way. But I would actually, and this kind of gets into a little bit of Augustine, I'd push it back to Genesis 1. The doubt is just going to be the natural byproduct of the world that we live in because God created a world with limitations <laughs> and boundaries and barriers. And he sets the Garden of Eden within boundaries and barriers. And Adam and Eve had boundaries and barriers intellectually, spiritually, in so many different ways. But then he invited them on a journey to learn and to grow, to discover. Mm-hmm. How do we learn, grow, discover? It's through the process of being shaken sometimes, uh, awake through heartache, through difficulty, through wondering what's on the the other side of these boundaries mm-hmm. that our faith begins mm-hmm. to grow. So if we get our theology of doubt from Genesis 1, yeah. seeing that, oh, this is part of the process of being human, mm-hmm. and it's an invitation to discover and to grow, yeah. rather than just it's always evil, it's always wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually is such a destructive, mm-hmm. destructive way to... Um, 
put an end to people's growth trajectory. And mm-hmm. really, it's a huge turnoff to people who are in the church who are wrestling. That's why I love this series that we're yeah. doing because yeah. it throws open the door and says, we want to grow with you. And we also want to present these resource to, uh, resources mm-hmm. to you historically where Christianity has engaged with these things and the yeah. Bible itself engages That's with really these good. things. Well, and, you know, you talked about Nietzsche earlier, and if you go read the very famous passage of the killing of God, it's actually super poetic. Mm -hmm. And so for those of you who haven't, you know, the madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes, whither is God or where's God? I will tell you, we've killed him, you and I, all of us are his murderers, but how did we do this? How could we drink up the sea? Mm. Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What were we doing when we unchained this earth from its sun? Whither is it moving now? Where is it moving now? Where are we moving? Mm. Away from all suns? Are we not plunging continually backward, sideways, forward in all directions? Is there still any up or down? Mm. Are we not straying as through an infinite nothing? Do we not feel the breath of empty space? Has it not become colder? It's like, dude, this is poetry. Mm. Yeah. Um, And he's not, you know, the whole declaration of the, you know, the the murder of God or the death of God. It's like, he's the one saying, if we detach ourselves from this son, S-U-N, we can never go back. Yep. Yeah. There's nothingness. And who gave us this? What authority? It's it's a wrestling. Yeah. And I think, um, to your point earlier, you eliminate it and just when you start to go down the road, just know, as you said, actually um, explore the questions with a sincere heart to explore them. But just know there come a point where you there's nothing left to deconstruct. Yeah. yeah. And that's a lonely space. So you got to approach these questions very sincerely. Yeah. I think also with that kind of the the answer to Nietzsche saying, oh, you know, God is dead. And, and so what do you do with all this fear that he presents in this passage? And he ends up saying, well, you know, actually I'm from the future. This hasn't happened yet. This mm-hmm. is yet to be. And so the answer existentially, uh, the existential philosophers, they said, we just need to make this leap to meaning. And there's this, there's this sense as you study philosophy within this time that we're, we're embarking on this very brave endeavor. Mm. So going back to your image of the river and being Mm. pulled between these two, you know, two banks, I think that is the feeling of deconstruction and doubt. It's, it's a fearful thing. You feel like you are losing touch with something very precious. Mm. And there's really two responses. Um, For those that are informed Christians, they understand that there is a brave response, which is to say something that a father in the gospel said, which is, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. That is a very brave declaration. Some part of my soul still finds it in in me to wonder at this God, to wonder at this story and to attach myself to this faith, though I have very many questions. And that is bravery in, in the informed Christian sense. And the other side, there's... Um, you know, existential philosophy that says we make this leap to meaning. First of all, we embrace doubt and that itself is a stance of bravery and say, we're willing to embark on this journey. Mm -hmm. And then we result by saying we will be brave and create our own meaning. 
But I think the story that's less told is that one of informed faith of saying it's still very possible to not have answers, mm. but to still maintain faith because yeah. faith is is this conviction. It's not certainty. It's conviction. Yeah. It is belief in something. It is belief in the unknown and the unseen and not having all the answers. So I just want to throw that out there because yeah. if you go on this deconstruction journey, you might be enticed by this one vision of what bravery looks like. Yeah. And mm-hmm. bravery is what you want when you're scared. Right. But there's this alternate vision of what a brave, informed Christian looks like to mm-hmm. say, I do do believe. Help me overcome my Oh my gosh, that's so good. Um, H.G. Wells, he has this short book that you can find online called The Country of the Blind. And it tells a story of this Ecuadorian explorer named Nunez, who tumbles down into this valley and is knocked unconscious, wakes up and he finds finds himself just surrounded by beauty and waterfalls Mm -hmm. and lush plants. And he finds this village there. And when he arrives in the village, everyone in that village is blind. And it turns out for generations, they've been that way. Someone had gotten sick years ago, passed it on, and they had they were not only blind, but they had lost the memory of sight. Mm-hmm. He comes on the scene and he takes upon himself, like, describe the beauty of the world that they're in. Hey, you guys are the most epic place, waterfalls, plants, all of this. It's here. And they said, no, you're the deluded one. <laughs> and long story short, he falls in love with one of the village elders' daughters. And they're like, the only way we'll let you marry her is if you allow one of our village doctors to gouge out your eyes. Oh, and so wow. he, had to, he had to make this choice. Oh, where goodness. do I marry the one I love and stop talking about this world? that they say is imaginary (laughs) or do I keep my eyes Mm -hmm. and ultimate reality I'm in tune with and there's this tension that he's painting and Mm -hmm. I I share that because there is space for tension Mm -hmm. there there is a space as Christopher Wright put it Mm -hmm. uh, to believe in the God you don't understand Mm -hmm. I think each one of us should have a bucket in our brain that has a big question mark on it (laughs) what about this what about that I don't get it honestly like there are parts of the The Bible the story yeah parts of the Bible all those kids and I've read the books and I've seen what different apologists say, but there are mm-hmm. parts that I still don't get. I still hey, don't it's understand. It's mean to be called bald. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, baldy. It's such a fascinating like, story. Guys. I clearly deserve yeah. a capital to punishment. Die. I mean, imagine having your own personal bear that you could just pull out like that. So uh, last point on this. I think one of the more popular versions of deconstruction today is church hurt. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so we've talked about evil and suffering, the Bible, that kind of stuff. We haven't really talked about church hurt. So when you're sitting with someone, and this is the reason uh, the church hurt me, or I don't know, I don't know what the versions of it are. Whether it's oh, I, I my favorite pastor online fell. Yeah, you know, there's that. But then there's like no, I was actually part of the church for years, and I got hurt. Yeah. My what? Can you give us? couple yeah. talking points, both of yeah. you, from Absolutely. what that's looked like? I think, I think first of all, you got to acknowledge the hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, when, when you see what Christians have done, uh, vis- different sectors of Christendom throughout history, uh, whatever wars or bloodshed has been fought in the name of religion, like owning that, being honest about that is really key. And then just owning and being uh, honest with their where they're at, what sure. they've experienced. And we've all been there. Um, but also, too, like, 
we follow Jesus, and Jesus is in this process of transforming us. And for those who are deconstructing their faith, oftentimes what I find is they'll use church hurt as the surface level reason they're walking away. But mm. oftentimes it's a much, much deeper than that. Yeah. Uh, it has to do with their own relationship with God that has been fractured or broken. And I think that's where church hurt actually can be so painful because mm. when a pastor messes up, when a church leader does something divisive or, do- or toxic, they then project that (laughs) upon God, right? And that's why it hurts more than some other forms of hurt. So owning that, acknowledging that, and pointing people to Jesus. That's really good. I'd say first and foremost, um, I'm so sorry if if you have experienced church hurt. um, It's very real. I would encourage you to start this conversation with Jesus and to say, unpack why you were so surprised because I think that's the emotion that comes up so quickly. And I think if you read the Bible, you should not be surprised. I think we should be horrified. Mm. I think that's a good response. We should be horrified at what someone did in Jesus's name that was not a Jesus thing to do. But we shouldn't be surprised because it's all over the Bible that Jesus's people do awful things, oftentimes using their power and authority to do those awful things. So I'd start the conversation with Jesus and just say, Jesus, would you strip away everything that I learned about you from this person um, for good and for bad? And would you begin to take me on a journey of showing me who you are apart from this person? I would be so raw and vulnerable with Mm -hmm. God to say, I'm angry that you let this happen to me, that I trusted myself to these people and that you let them do this or that or allow this or allow that. So be very, very raw and vulnerable with God and then ask him to heal you. Um, A really hard part of this process, if you want me to be very scriptural and practical, is at some point you are going to be called upon to forgive the person that hurt Mm -hmm. you. Matthew 18, Jesus says, um, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. And so part of this is facing up to Jesus. I do not have the power to forgive this person, but because, not because they deserve it, they don't. But because you have forgiven me, I'm going to daily ask you to help me forgive them because you will not want to be close to the God that let this happen ever right? So you at some point have to forgive in order to be able to receive that healing that Jesus offers and provides. Once you do that, and and my last caveat is I would say if it happened in community, it's going to need to be healed in community, probably not the same community. So it's okay for you to find a different pastor Mm -hmm. and a different group of people, but Go search a different community of believers. Don't give up on the big C capital church because of what some little C church did to you. (laughs) Little C church. Yeah, and it's like from a philosophical standpoint, fully agree. It's like we were talking today about like the the category mistake of you're evaluating truth based on the actions of the followers of Jesus. So if Einstein, for instance, you found out that Einstein was a, a... a kleptomaniac and he stole a bunch of stuff it's you don't go well now i'm going to reject all mm-hmm. einstein math because he's a jerk um in the same way let's not throw out the truth of christianity based on how the followers of christianity have yeah. messed it up and fumbled yeah. it's a category mistake to go jesus isn't who he said he was because the church isn't good at following him 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I think just um, acknowledging that even just philosophically um, and then personally just saying, okay, what what's behind all of this and how can I yeah. find another community or whatever it is? So yeah. um, great, great conversation, guys, on doubt and deconstruction. Hopefully this has been helpful mm-hmm. to you. Join us for our next episode.